We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. TickPick should be your first choice to buy basketball tickets because they save fans money by never charging any service fees, ever. TickPick is the exclusive ticketing partner for the Laker Film Room Podcast and Blue Wire Network. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined by Darius and Mike. And last week, when we ended, uh, Darius accurately and colorfully put the Lakers' prospects right now, considering the roster and everything that's going on, that we're not in the best position right now. And that proved to be true in the Portland game, right? We got blown out, but we got blown out fairly early. And D... To me, there's a difference between losing by 20 and being down by 20 in the first quarter, right? Like, we are obviously at a, at a big talent deficit, but there were, we still have NBA players, right? And so what I wanted to talk about today is what are, considering the totally messed up circumstances that we're in right now, what are fair expectations from the team from what's probably going to be, or at least has a good chance of being pretty choppy waters this coming week? Because to me, like you still got to compete, right? You still have to, you, you have to try your best with, with what you have. And so I think I would like to establish like what is fair to hope to see from the team, even if we end up losing every game. Are we thinking they're not trying their best with what they have? Well, I think that having a, that, that being down 20 in the first quarter is indicative of that they didn't come to play. Right. Whether I'm where that blame pie or anything, you know, credit to the Kamenetsky bros. That's not really what my point is. Or do you disagree? Do you think that they came out with the requisite effort and engagement? And and you disagree with the premise? If if you listen to the players, they all post game. And Mike, you you were there, but I heard a lot of comments about they need to play harder. That's a common refrain amongst players, I think. It's also one that coaches bring up a lot. I know that Frank Vogel playing harder than your opponent is sort of a mantra that he's had for the entire time that he's been the coach. And, and so a part of me wonders how much of that is the players echoing what the coach says. Part of it, part of me is wondering how much the players believe that themselves. 
Part of it is me looking at some of the players who say it and how hard they play versus some of their teammates, right? Like, this is where the whole human element of things is super fascinating to me beyond, like, what's happening on the court. There's tactical things I think the Lakers could be doing differently and better. There's also limitations within the roster. I think last pod I said that Frank Vogel has a very fine needle to thread, and he's probably doing it with shaky hands at this point. And finding the right balance is going to be difficult, I think. Personally, and I wrote this in my preview for the game at Form Blue and Gold, is I thought the Lakers should have played small against Portland. I thought that playing two bigs against or starting two bigs against a team that starts basically a non-offensive threat stretch forward in Covington, I thought that was going to be a mistake. I thought playing DeAndre against Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum, players who are masters against drop coverage, and Portland is a team that loves to put your opposing big into screen actions and have shooters come off of screens, and there's a level of connectivity that the big man has to have who's involved in those screen actions, and I think asking DeAndre to do that effectively over the course of a full game is a mistake, right? Like, I've defended Vogel a fair amount, um, but there are certain things I will not defend because I think they're wrong. And so there's when you talk about expectations and what are our expectations, I think that we definitely should have an expectation that the coach is going to coach more towards the specific opponent, because I don't think he has the talent to just throw out talent and say, beat us. We're at our best. Right. Um, I also think that there's an expectation on the players to basically come out and play harder and to. And to be as locked in and as dialed in to what you're being asked to do as possible, right? So, like, I saw Anthony Davis get beat at the point of attack by C.J. McCollum. I saw him take bad angles against screens. Now, Anthony Davis went out sick seven minutes into the game. I don't think we, we knew beforehand that he was sort of dealing with any sort of bug that would compromise him. And so part of me wonders, too, like, was there a sort of a deflated nature of, like, our one of our best guys went out, but they were already down 11 at that point. So I don't really know, but there's a certain level of, can the players lock in and execute what they're asked? Are they being asked to do too much? Are they being put in situations where they're not going to be as successful? I think there's just a lot to parse at this point. And it's, and it speaks to why I use the colorful language that I did on the last pod, right? The Lakers are down bad right now, and getting out of a place where you're down, down bad is, is harder, I think, than getting to a place that's bad in the first place. The climb out is much harder than the fall. There are some teams that have a requisite level of just youth and athleticism to come out and play really hard on a given night and beat a better team. You know, my first couple of years in the NBA, I worked for one uh, in the Timberwolves that had some young athletic talent, but just not, you know, not enough good players. And they they would beat a good team on a given night. But when it came down to it, they were going to struggle. Then there's the other teams like the Lakers roster where you have LeBron and AD and Russ is not Russ the all star yet because Russ is still he can he's shown flashes of it when he figures it out and the game goes a certain way. But just Russ putting him out there 
with a certain personnel, he's not yet, he's not at that level, um, which as he said, takes some time for him to get to. So if you pull LeBron and then AD is sick before the game and goes out and plays seven minutes, all of a sudden you've got Bazemore, DeAndre Jordan, Avery Bradley, Carmelo, Wayne Ellington, Malik Monk Reeves. all playing 20 plus minutes. Well, yeah. Reeves, I'm holding out of this of this comp because Reeves is the is the guy that's young and comes in and gives you energy and you know plays yep. a certain way. Yep. But these these guys that have been in the NBA for many years on different teams, that's not the group that's going to come in and give you an unexpected sort of rally. Those guys, they see Anthony Davis threw up four times before the game. And in their head, even if they like subconsciously or whatever, yep. they yep. know they're losing that night. And there's no there's no illusion about it. And it's this it's this I've just I've seen it happen so many times. And that like that's the kind of team that can rally some at home. And so I think they'll be a little bit more competitive during this next home stretch, regardless of what the personnel is Um, some. But there's just a feel that you can get. And, And I in my seat in Portland happens to be about 15 feet behind the bench and LeBron's there in street clothes. AD runs off the court and it's just kind of, it's a, it's a bummer, right? It's this, that's the feeling. And that's what Mello stated after the game, Pete, that's what Dwight Howard, who was probably the most frustrated because in some, in Dwight's mindset, it's like you overcome all of this stuff with just effort. And like, and that's true to an extent, but the other team has that same level of competitiveness. And so if they have the requisite healthy guys or talent, Portland had zero players on the injury report. So there's there's two conversations here, Pete. One, there's that Portland, that feeling, that really bad feeling. Then there's the where do they go from here feeling, given what the roster is. And that's the, been the stuff that I know we've we've been trying to think about. For sure. And that's kind of the premise of the pod. That's why I kind of want for this Monday pod to set expectations like what's fair to expect from this team this coming week, considering the circumstances. Your point about the young legs makes me think about while we weren't terribly young last year, it comes down to a certain scrappiness. When you're down talent, you got to be able to scrap, right? You got to be able to find these possessions. And the guys that we have, right, they're scorers there. It's Mello and Rondo and Dwight Howard, right? It's it's all of these guys where collectively, D, we don't have that scrappiness where last year we were in similar, like, we're down so many guys. We had a lot of games like this last year, but we still had our third star, quote unquote, with our defense, right? We yeah. had something to fall back on where we could win a game 80, five to 80 80 and Trez and and Dennis would each score 20 you know what I mean well I even look at remember that first season where AD's first season they went into OKC LeBron didn't play AD oh yeah the play, Rondo Kuz game right right and yep. th- when you talk about hunger like Kuz was like oh man it's my it? time to shine yeah. like, like <laughs> Kuz yeah. gets the big piece of chicken yeah. game right yeah. to, to make the old comedy bit with uh Chris Rock, it, it's like, and then just the mindset of guys like KCP and Caruso and even Rondo had one of those nights where it's just like, oh, like I get to maybe shove it in Chris Paul's face, right? Like that that sense of wherever you get your motivation from, there have been different points over the last couple of years where the Lakers had that, that motivation, from, they found that motivation in in different places. And a a question I guess I would put back to to both of you is where do they get that motivation? Where does this group get that motivation right now when they're down like this? Because I think finding it from somewhere is super important. It's super important. So in terms of in terms of motivation, it's kind of like a chicken or the egg thing, right? Like when you're doing the same thing 
over and over and it's not working, you can kind of lose that motivation. Like your point about, uh, about AD, there's something I, I charted the last five defensive coverages. I texted you guys right before the show, the last five games of defensive coverages, just, I love zeroing in on just a specific aspect of the game and what does it look like? And one of the things that stood out to me was the frequency that, like we talked a lot about LeBron being kind of on his help coverages when he's been with the starters. The frequency that AD's been similar, that circumstance you described with CJ when he's sick and all that, that is not an isolated event over the last, right? You know, It happened a bunch against Houston. Mm -hmm. Right. And it happened against OKC. As well, like when after the game, when Vogel sort of said, like, we've been having trouble doing X. Yeah, I want to I want to get into that at some point, if not this pod, then then another. But that's part of it. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's not just there's a part of that, like we're having trouble doing X. And I think there's two ways to look at that. One is, okay, Frank, well, you're asking this guy to do X and he may not be capable of doing X. And so let's point the finger like you're looking in the mirror any with that and then there's a look i'm asking anthony davis to do this and even he's not doing it right Right. and and so where do you place the finger on the scale there if you're the head coach like and i think this is a very interesting talk within the context of expectations right like what are proper expectations of the head coach when the head coach is defined is designing a game plan but what is also the expectation that the head coach should realistically have of some of the players that he's asking to do some of the things that that he's doing. And there and that's going to vary amongst the roster. But when you're asking Anthony Davis to do anything defensively, odds are you're at like the expectation is like he's going to do it well. He really doesn't have many he's at least capable weaknesses. Right. Yes. It's not like a bad plan. It, it, like I brought up the Malik Monk play, like Malik Monk tagging Jakob Pertl. It's like Malik Monk's small. He's not going to win paint battles. I, I feel okay saying, hey, he's not going to be able to do that. That's not a good plan. Asking Anthony Davis to do anything pretty much defensively, you're going to be okay. Yeah, and, and, and so this is where, like, there are so... My mother-in-law has an orange tree. And there's all of this fruit on it right now. It's it's orange season, right? And so there are so many oranges on the tree. You could go to any part of the tree and pick whatever orange you want. There are so many problems with the Lakers right now. We could pick out any, we can go to any part of the team right now and pick out a problem and say, oh, look at this. It's low-hanging fruit. All it is is low-hanging fruit right, right. now. And, and you would be correct on any of those many things. You'd be correct, yes. So I want to put it back to you guys then. They are down bad. Getting that motivation in order to turn thing, things around. You were, I think, I cut you off there, Pete, but you were making a point about, like, sort of that old saying about insanity, right? Like, insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results, right? You didn't use the word insanity. I just did. But there is a certain amount of that, right? Like, if you are banging your head against the wall a certain amount, it is going to get frustrating and you will lose your motivation at some point to execute that. Are you talking about that within the context of the Lakers or something else? No, no, not, not it's it's not that it's it's more of a one thing we see all the time and have said for years with respect to role players D is like, what can you do? What are the things that you, you can do? And when you have a bad team, there's a lot of that, right? Like Mike, you talk about the, the younger teams with the fresh legs and we are not that, but there is a certain, those teams win a certain number of games by just running, by just playing hard on any given circumstance. So my 
perspective with a bad team right now is what can you do at this point? And like, and there may be eight other things that you cannot, and you will lose the game by 20 because you cannot do those other things. My perspective is let's try to maybe lean into the things that we are capable of right now, because we still have Russell Westbrook and Anthony Davis, although only for seven minutes that last game, but hopefully going forward, we have Russ and AD coming up this week, you know? Yeah. So it's just, if you, if you're looking at AD healthy, starting the game, which since it was a stomach virus, we can hope that he's good to go by Monday night. Um, and that, that also gave the thumb a couple extra days to, to get better. Some that you have a baseline where you're you're going to be competitive enough. It's not going to be like that Portland game, right, where it just didn't – it's just going to look bleak. So if AD's out there, that raises the floor to a certain level. But I think until LeBron gets back, we have to adjust the tiers that we think about the Lakers in. And with no LeBron, they're no longer in that top tier where right now it's, it's Golden State and Utah. You know, Dallas is – this is where the West gets weird, right? Because Phoenix has won a couple, so they're five and three. Dallas is six and three. Those teams aren't great. Uh, Memphis is five and four, but now you have the Clippers have won a couple. Denver's there's so many teams now in this middle part of the of the West, but I see them a little bit closer to the Clippers or the Kings, right, than they were to the Jazz or the Warriors with LeBron uh, in there. And all of these teams are now. You look at the Eastern Conference. Atlanta is four and six as the 12 seed. Like Boston is four and six as the 11. Milwaukee's four and six. So there are a lot of teams that are, whether because of schedule or a couple of injuries or still a couple of absences that are, that things have been a bit weird in the standings. Mm -hmm. And I think that there is still a separation though. The bottom five teams in the West, the Timberwolves, the Thunder, the Spurs, the Rockets, the Pelicans, like those teams, despite OKC having beaten the Lakers twice are, are teams that the Lakers should still beat like with the requisite talent that they have, even without LeBron. And what that basically means is you're right there. You're in that play-in range right now. And so when LeBron gets back, and we don't know what it is yet, but you know, hopefully it's not much longer than a week or two, then you can once again reset your calibration some. And, but it's going to be, as Darius laid out last pod, like it's going to be a little rough this, this time without LeBron, but they – they also can't approach these games as as if they're they don't have a good chance to win, uh, especially at home. So that's that's just the way that the, the bigger picture, I think, is settling down right now. Yeah, I think in terms of expectations, like just that general approach is something that is fair to expect from them coming this week, just that, that you can compete in these games and to look to do that. Let's take a quick break, get into some of the things that they can do right now. Lakers basketball is finally back, and there's no need to exhaust yourself by searching all over the internet to find Lakers tickets anymore, because TickPick, that's T-I-C-K-P-I-C-K, is the original no-fee ticket site, and the only one you'll ever need as your go-to for all NBA tickets. TickPick got rid of all those awful service fees that other ticket sites charge, which lets them guarantee the best prices on all their NBA tickets. Don't believe it? If you can find better prices on the same seats on another ticket site, TickPick will give you 110% of the difference in purchase price. I'm excited to see this Lakers squad get out and transition this year, and there's nothing like seeing a great fast-breaking team in person. Visit TickPick.com LFR today and use promo code LFR to save $10 on your first order of Lakers tickets. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. 
Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. D, I'm thinking of our offense right now. With Russell Westbrook and Anthony Davis, I think that we can at least create good shots. We may lose games. Like I think on defense, there are we talk about there being no good answers. I think that's where the most no good answers are. And that may be true on the complete roster. We do not know yet. But defensively, I, like, yeah, there's only so much that, that can be done. We went to a lot of zone in that last game that I thought was super fascinating. That was probably the most zone we've ever played in the Vogel era. But I want to focus on the offense right now. With Russ and AD, I believe that we can still create really good shots. Are you of that same perspective? And how do we go about doing that? Because that's going to be a unit that we rely on throughout the year, even when LeBron is back on those you know, 12 minutes a game where LeBron is not on the floor. Before the season, we talked about how every team ultimately, every team that Russell Westbrook is on ultimately becomes a Russell Westbrook team. And we thought it was going to be fascinating to see like, oh, that sort of push and pull between, well, every team that LeBron is on is a LeBron team, right? Mm -hmm. And luckily LeBron is sort of a shapeshifter of sorts and he can play whatever style you want him to play. But in the end, it's like fourth quarter, close game. Guess what? They're not racing up the court. Odds are is LeBron has the ball in his hands and he's telling people where to go, and then he's hunting a mismatch. LeBron's not here. If the Lakers are going to win, it's going to be because they are a Russell Westbrook team. Anthony Davis can be a pretty good partner in crime on a Russell Westbrook team. When you're talking about the offense and generating good shots, yes, I believe that. The upcoming slate of teams that the Lakers play are good teams. Charlotte, um, they just had a tough loss against the Clippers, but... but I think that they're a good they're team. Fine. I think that's the most winnable game this week, knock on wood, especially after Portland. But but yeah, we've got we've got a couple good teams coming up. There are is but there are matchup things that I was look, looking at, right? And so the Lakers next four opponents, right? Charlotte, so the Hornets, the Heat, the Timberwolves, the Spurs. And then after that, it's the Bulls. That's the that's the homestand. Most of those teams play like a single big. I think the Lakers have to go smaller like they just have to. Again, I've defended Frank for playing two bigs when with the players available to him. I think that it has been a defensible position. I I haven't always agreed. Right. Like I didn't agree against Portland, but I think it's been defensible. Sure. If you're on the other side of that, that's that's reasonable. But I think that there is a bunch of factors that go into that decision making that are important that often aren't aren't acknowledged. But that's the end of my point about that. Moving forward over this next stretch, like. I'd be playing small against these teams, I'd say you have to match up against us to a certain extent from what we're going to do offensively and try to dictate the terms of engagement as much as you can through the lens of 
offensive production and trying to get good shots. The two players who I think help Russ the most in the screen and roll game are Dwight, because actually Dwight sets better screens than DeAndre Jordan, like on the ball. Like I've noticed in terms of screening angles, Dwight just seems to get under the player a little bit more like he just does it, which is the angle that you need to take in order to clip Russ's guy who is trying to go under and Anthony Davis and AD's the best at it. Right. And so if you're looking to get screen and roll game stuff going, I think you have to play AD. Like you have to be able to set screens with, with AD, which to me, you should be then removing the second big from the floor entirely and, and, and spacing the floor. Mike, I know that there are that this is an ongoing discussion amongst us, and I don't want to bring it up within the context of what the big picture plan should be and and how much it matters versus how much it doesn't. But but where are you at with what Pete's proposing in terms of like filtering things more through the lens of let's create good offense for for this team? Because I'm in agreement. There is no through line defensively where you account for all of the weaknesses of all of all of the disparate weaknesses of all of the different players that are on the roster to build out a cohesive scheme where you can expect them to execute it night to night to night with the level of defensive talent that's available. So I think it has to go offense. So I guess let's just focus on the short term, right? Because we still don't see none or THD or Riza on the horizon, at least in, in this next stretch of games. And I think nonetheless, I wouldn't mind just picking between the bigs. And I don't. So there's parts of what you said about Dwight in that screen roll action that makes sense. But he also was the one where he wasn't rolling quickly enough. And then Russell was getting frustrated. Yeah, I was going to bring that up. Mm hmm. So like DJ seems like the better actual full roller to the rim, but Dwight. So it's, it gets back to this whole thing. Like you almost want to combine the things that they do. Well, well, I wish well, I could. Dwight's defense with DJ's offense. We well, got the five that we need, man. Yeah. Can I say this too, though? It's easier to roll when you're actually not making connection and you're slipping out of screens yeah, a little true. bit more. <laughs> right? Fair. And, That's fair. And, and yeah. So when Dwight is holding his screen, right, of right. course he's not rolling as fast. He has to... Get his nose in there. A guy is trying to go six feet under the screen against you. Nah, Guess it's a, it's what? A good, yeah. Like if you're clipping the dude, then sometimes it's hard to actually get down there. But but DJ is a quicker moving athlete at this point, and he does get downhill better. I'm just saying there's always circumstances to everything, and it's not just one guy is doing one thing better for only one reason, right? Like it's it, it's more complicated. Than it's a that. great game. It's a great game. Well, yes. But I think I think just look at their careers. DJ thrives off of big dunks. Like that's what he lives for. That's what gets him going. That's what he thinks about. And Dwight thrives off of smashing somebody at the rim on defense and really asserting himself physically on offense. I think it's what he likes to do is, is shove four guys out of the way for a rebound. You know that like basically Dwight loves to show and feel his power. And DJ likes to show the ball going through the rim. And they are, they are, which one of those things do you prefer? We're getting off track on that, like, or I'm getting off track on it. I definitely have not seen enough, right, from the big lineups without, like, when they haven't had LeBron out there to run everything, and then it almost sort of, everything looks a little bit better. But, yeah, I, I just, we haven't yet seen Vogel go to that. He had the whole thing with Houston, right, where, okay, well, Dwight's going to be out. And we think the way that they play, it's going to fit a little bit better with the small group. And I think that I did my pregame hit on this or right before tip hit. 
and mentioned it a little bit. When they're playing against teams like Portland and Golden State, where they've got that the shooters that they have to really worry about off of the 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 like really high in the floor right away in that initial action. I think that they're worried about not having anybody on the back line. If if AD, for example, is at the five and he steps up and then the skip pass over the top, the person that's rotating over is like Carmelo Anthony, you know, or somebody of that ilk. And as opposed to LeBron James. And I think that is that's the reason why we're still seeing the two bigs in those types of systems. But for the teams that don't have that player, then maybe they're they're comfortable going back to it. So that's the first thing I want to kind of hit back at you guys and, and see if you saw that same thing and how that complicates, if at all, the whole too big thing. Yeah, Mike, let me read Vogel's quote because there's a bunch of good stuff in it. Uh, he said, we're struggling to contain quick, deep shooting guards with this year's personnel and the way we like to bring double teams. So we pulled back on it some and those guys took advantage of it, talking about CJ and Dan. I mean, before we pulled it back, we weren't tough enough on our low man in our rotations, and we weren't containing with our guards in the trap well enough. So when neither one of the when neither one was happening, we pulled back in our base coverage, and that's risky against shooters like Damon CJ, and that got going a bit. And at that point, we we were down, and we just tried to junk the game up a little bit. There's so much about this that I, I want to pick up, but in context of like the two bigs, this is I would argue that that's an that's an argument against starting two bigs is that. The we've talked so much about this ongoing conversation of two bigs versus eighty at the five and whatnot through the lens of spacing and and driving lanes for Russ and the ability to shoot out of that you know being in your deep corners and and all of the spots that kind of optimize space spacing for driving lanes but we haven't talked about it a whole ton in terms of foot speed and I think that that's really important defensively is that when Vogel talks about Dame and CJ being those deep pull up shooting guards Steph and Jordan. Pool are examples of that as well. That defense offenses like that stretch you out. You and it means that DJ has to step up more. And when he does, maybe the guy goes around him. When CJ uh, beat AD off of the dribble, it was a circumstance where where AD was in a shot coverage, which means showing at the level of the ball screen. And then CJ just blew by him. And so that's the danger, right? And when those bigs get beat by those quick little guards, and DJ's very much like this, you'll see DJ just kind of hang back in the paint because he knows, like, if I go too close, they're just going to go right by me. And that really, more than anything, is, for me, what we need to lean into over this course of this week. And again, this is not... This is not an opportunity to establish something that we will be doing in game five of a playoff series. And, but even then, it could be in a second quarter type of circumstance, right? Basically, this is not our main pitch, our second pitch, or even our third pitch. But I think that the guys that we do have that can play, they can run a little bit. Like Malik Monk's fast. Austin's going to run the floor, right? We've got uh, Baze is going to run the floor. In terms of foot speed, the big versus small type of lineups. I think right now, and, and to, to Vogel's defense, like when we lose LeBron on top of everything else, we're small as hell. I actually think DJ should be playing. I just don't think he should be starting right now because we are so small. I do think that we need more front court type of players. It's kind of just kind of like where over the course of this week. And I think I've been texting with you guys a lot about the idea of four guard lineups, which he did do. And he did experiment within that Portland game. And I actually saw a lot of like, oh, Vogel's trying some things here, which is exactly what you should be doing right now. So I'm in a place where let's really emphasize our foot speed. Let's run as much as we can, because that can be part of our personality this season. And it goes into building around Russ. It is that Russell Westbrook team that you were talking about in the absence of LeBron. It's funny that we talked about offense stuff, but then we'll never 
quite get away from the defensive stuff too. That's right. right? <laughs> yeah. We've been conditioned. Well, you know, this head coach, he is We won a is. championship this way. We won yeah. a championship with that. One of the things I had said in in our text thread as well is is that and I think this is true of every head coach, but they got to where they are because of who they are. Right? And it whether you're Phil Jackson or Mike D'Antoni or Frank Vogel or Greg Popovich or Eric Spolstra or anyone else, right? There's a certain amount of like, I'm going to lean on what I know in the hardest of times, right? Like that's, that's how you got to where you are in the first place. And, and so we're never going to escape the idea that things are going to be viewed through a defensive lens as well, right? But I would, I would agree with you, Pete, that the other team has coaches too. The other team isn't going to let Anthony Davis just sit there and roam off the ball and gum up every single one of your actions as a weak side helper, right? They're not going to make, they're not going to put his man in weak side corner where he has low man responsibilities because he's going to destroy in low man responsibilities. They're not going to put him in tag and recover situations a bunch because that's that's also where he's going to thrive. You know where they might put him in strong side corner, right? Where it's just like, oh yeah, you're the least helpful helper in the world he, when you stand here, right? Or we're going to do exchanges and bring you up and then we're going to run action towards you and make you go one direction and then have to cover a handoff going in the opposite direction. And can you keep up actually, right? And AD is a fantastic switch player against guards, but getting him on the move in one direction and then having to change direction going full speed the other direction, almost every big man in the league is going to have problems with well with that. And Anthony Davis isn't immune to that either. Right? And he's got a really high center of gravity too. That's actually something that when we put him on Kawhi or other wings, that's one thing that Lou likes to do is let's run him on off ball screens because that kind of like changing, it takes longer when you're that tall, got really long legs, high center of gravity to change direction, which isn't to say he's not great at it and has great recovery speed. But there are the point being is is that, like you said, the other team has coaches too and can influence. And, and that's when I did all of the charting of the last few games is the way that they target DJ in particular. And even yes. it's white and other guys, it's, it's very intentional. Well, even Carmelo too, like they'll target oh, Carmelo 100%. in certain ways as well. Right. 100%. And so in, in getting back to the point and this whole pod about expectations and sort of things that we'd like to see or are hopeful to see without the expectation of winning, but the expectation yes. of trying to put your team in the best position to, to succeed, whatever success looks like on that given night. Right. And sometimes that might be just winning a five minute stretch of the game or winning, you know, 10 possessions. And those 10 possessions could end up being the difference between winning and losing. You never really know. But one of the biggest arguments I think right now is, if you're going to play in order to optimize Russ, you need to sort of influence the lineup a certain way. And I think if you're going to get the most out of Anthony Davis, you need to put him in a position where he actually has the most responsibility that you can imagine on both sides of the ball. When you go back to that stretch last year, guys, and and Mike, I'd love to get your thoughts about this specific point is 
towards the end of the season when AD was clearly in ramp up mode, I feel like for the playoffs. And and he's and remember he had a couple of big games, one against the Suns especially. But the idea was, nah, man, like this dude, we're asking you to basically do everything. And I feel like one of the reasons why AD didn't have as good of a season last season beyond all of the injury stuff is that the roster construction actually allowed him to float a little bit more. It, uh, it, they were like, hey, look, you've got Montrez Harrell. He's going to eat down in these spots of the floor. And AD, you get to stand out here. Wow, we give Trez some post touches. We've got Dennis Schroeder, and he's going to go and eat, right? And it was all of this sort of like, oh, and LeBron looks amazing. And that even gave AD a little bit more chance to sort of like, oh, let's work my way in into things. But at the end of the season, it was like, nah, man, we need you. We need you to be the best version of yourself right now. And there's a certain amount of responsibility that I feel like AD has. If you listen to his post-game comments, a lot of stuff is always just like, I'm going to take credit for that. I need to do this. I need to do that. Well, I think you need to put that onus on him earlier in the game, in my opinion. Like, nah, man, like, you the only big out there. You got to do all of the big bad shit. Sorry, right? Like, no, like, it's only you and Russ out there. Y'all got to make it work. There's no other, there's no go stand in the corner while Russ and DJ run a pick and roll. There's no, like, you're in help side defense. You are in the middle of the frame. And I've used this term a lot for Anthony Davis, but it's important for him, I think. You've got to be in the, you've got to put him, I think, in the middle of the frame in order to get the most out of him. And I'm just believing in that for this stretch of games without LeBron, especially like ask your stars to do more, like put the pressure on them and and see how they respond. Because that's why you built the team this way. In my opinion is to get the most out of these guys to carry you when one of the other guys is out. The focus on AD there is definitely interesting because so Westbrook, a lot of the discussion has been, well, Westbrook's on the team. You have to filter everything towards the way that Westbrook plays. But if you have to win one game, who's the player that is the best player? And those things conflict a little bit. But how do they work together? And AD is playing, if you take out the last game in which he was clearly sick uh, and the second half in which his thumb seems to be bothering him, I get that's part of what the AD package has been, right? Dealing with some minor stuff within games. But he has looked more like the 2019-20 AD than last year's AD. And that was something we just discussed about before LeBron got hurt as being the really encouraging thing. Like, all right, Lakers are starting to round into form here some. Westbrook looks better in their system as the third guy. Uh, They started small a couple games. You know, AD is playing like real AD. He's completely dominating inside, even before he's hitting from the perimeter. But now here we are where without LeBron, it just the you have to recalibrate a little bit. And I, I don't disagree with anything you said about AD. It's just... Darius, like how much of that can coincide with the way that you want to play through Russ? And I think that it can, but we just haven't gotten a chance to see much of it. And and yet here are now teams coming in, almost all of which have more cohesion than the Lakers, including Oklahoma City, by the way, which is part of the reason why they won those games. Like these teams actually know how to play together. The continuity in the NBA, there wasn't that much change this offseason from team to team. And it's just a a nightly thing where it's like, all right, how much do you want to focus on this opponent and the best possible game plan to beat them and trying to build some state stability in what you're doing with the team and the rotation. And 
that's been a big challenge. And I, and I feel for Vogel um, in that sense, because he's the guy that's got to try to figure all that out. And, uh, and it's, it's a tricky thing to do. Building stability amongst chaos, I, I would almost argue that it's impossible for he'll, him to accomplish a too uh, accomplish too much from we're building toward long term goals. I think it's this like every once in a while we can have a four guard lineup or a two three zone. It's all this stuff that's just like the, you know third fourth fifth option type of things that we'll see every once in a while. But the this is the meat of what we do. It's just not possible right now. But in terms of like how does AD be in the center of the frame? on a team that's catering toward Russell Westbrook. To put it in a simplistic sense, I think that AD can do that defensively even more than anywhere else. Like AD is that mistake eraser that can really help cover for a lot of guys who are going to make mistakes. And that is the place where, like to me, optimizing the offense toward Russ and optimizing the defense toward AD. And I think by doing that, it's putting him in the center of that frame that you talk about D is like right in the center of the action uh, rather than, than on the backside. So I think it's, it's tough. Uh, you know, like, again, there are no good answers right now, but I think uh, we, we talk so much about fair expectations and not really expecting to win. I think tonight's the best chance that we've got. Hopefully uh, we can, we can come through and, have a, a nice fun pod for once after a win, but we shall see. Uh, but until then, you've been listening to Laker Film Room Podcast. We'll catch you next time. James has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tips to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic got it. Magic fires. It's good. The Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Three seconds left. Van Exel to win it. It's on the way. A lot of Laker fans okay, sticking so around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two, two, one. Listen! Unbelievable. It's over. Shot clock now to five. Bryant. Yes! And that was a little tough to Albert Gentry. Add insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic. Trying to disrupt Rondo, he puts it in. Here's Davis, 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters.